You know, one of my uh, leisure time activities is reading biographies. I enjoy that, whether both of Christian and non-Christian uh, people who have left an influence in the world today, and I'm inspired by their stories oftentimes. And, and you know, the way biographies work is that somebody's writing the story of a person's life, and they give us a pretty honest portrayal, the good and the not so good, but usually at the end of that story, the person comes out looking pretty good, even if the bad in real life kind of outweighed the good, somehow at the end of the story, they come out on the, the side of good in that, and even if she or he wasn't that way. And, and that's one of the reasons I'm intrigued by a biography that I want to introduce to you today. It's about a man who, um, although he's pretty widely known, I suspect you know his story somewhat, at the end of his biography, we're not left with a particularly positive impression of this man. His good didn't outweigh his bad, and his biographer wasn't afraid to tell us that true story. Of course, the man I'm referring to, you may recognize, is Jonah. We read a little bit of his story a little bit earlier. Jonah was an 8th century B.C. prophet from the nation of Israel, specifically from the northern nation of Israel. And Jonah was one of those prophets, unusual man, in that he was running from God rather than running to God. And so I've titled this series that we're going to start today for the next several weeks, uh, Jonah the Runaway Prophet. And that's his biblical biography. And in that, as we read it, we're kind of like given a, a front row seat to learn about this man and to see that what is involved in his life of running away from God. Now, in the scripture that we read a little bit earlier from chapter 1, you, you heard the most famous part of Jonah's story. Jonah was sent by God to preach to Nineveh. And Jonah said, no, I think I'll go to Tarshish. That's the setting of the story. When God said go, Jonah said no. I don't think so. And so God had him thrown overboard on this ship as he's sailing in the Mediterranean and swallowed by this giant sea creature. That's the opening plot of the story of Jonah. And with those initial details of the story, you can see why Jonah has become one of the favorite children's stories in Sunday school. Because his story really reads more like a children's story than it does a historical biblical narrative. It's often called Jonah and the Whale. If you've been around Sunday school or church very long, you probably heard that when you were a kid. Jonah and the Whale. Well, it's not true because it wasn't a whale. It was a great fish, but we'll ignore that for the sake of the kids. But it's really a great kid's story. And maybe some of you today even think, well, that's all it is. You have doubts about the historical value, the historicity of the story of Jonah. Did it really happen? Probably not. But it's clear from the New Testament, in, in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 12, that Jesus also knew the story of Jonah, and he considered the story of Jonah not just a myth or an allegory, but he considered it as totally historical, as true, that, that it really happened. In fact, Jesus saw in Jonah's story uh, being in the belly of this great fish for three days, Jesus saw a picture of his own days in the grave, 
three days before he's resurrected. And so I would say, without going into the details of why I believe it is a historical story, I believe that if Jesus believed that Jonah's story was historical, then I'll go with him and we'll seek to discover truth for our own lives from the real story of Jonah. So let's jump into the story and we discover what God has for us in this remarkable four-chapter biography. <clears throat> the story of Jonah is a, a book bearing his own name. It's hidden away uh, sort of in the <clears throat> back of the Old Testament in a group of books called the Minor Prophets. And they're only minor because it means they're shorter than the other major prophets. And so the back of your Old Testament, if you want to look and uh, read a, a little bit today with that or follow along, pick it up this week, uh, you come to these Old Testament uh, books of the minor prophets. They begin with Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, and then Micah, Nahum, and it continues on. So let me remind us again of how Jonah's story all began. We heard it read once, but I'll just open the first pages of it again, the first words of it. In Jonah chapter 1, we read that the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up against me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord, and he headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a, a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard, and he sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Well, I encourage you to read the rest of the story this week in preparation for this series. If you have kids in your family, make a great uh, evening reading, uh, Bible reading. Involve the kids in reading and remembering that story of Jonah and this great fish. We don't know a whole lot about the man Jonah. We do know that he's one of these uh, Old Testament prophets. He's one of the few prophets, in fact, that came from the northern kingdom of Israel when, the, when Israel was divided in north and south. But rather than being called by God to preach to Israel, to the northern kingdom, or even the southern of Judah, Jonah was commanded by God to preach God's message to the Assyrian people in Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was located in the, uh, was the location of the Assyrian royal residence. It would be the location today would be in the city of Mosul in northern Iraq. And the Assyrians were some of the most uh, violent people in, the, in ancient history. They used to terrorize and brutalize nations around them. And they expanded their kingdom across the ancient Near East. It was a strong, brutal kingdom. In fact, they would eventually take captive the northern uh, part of, of Israel in 722 B.C., destroy that and so it's to these pagan Assyrians that God told Jonah, I want you to take my message to them. And I want, my message will be simple. This is what he gave to Jonah. He said, I want you to tell the Assyrians, repent of your wickedness so you can escape the wrath of God's judgment. A simple message. But Jonah wasn't interested in that. That message, in fact, may sound rather harsh to our ears today, as, as perhaps it did to Jonah's. But it's a reminder that, that God isn't indifferent to wickedness and suffering and injustice in our world. In fact, someday, God will bring his judgment here to earth. 
and against those things. And God will set all those things right, the Bible tells us. But today, strangely enough, churches don't talk much about God's judgment and wrath. As preachers, I admit, we're big on God's love, His mercy, His grace, His forgiveness, His acceptance. But His wrath and His judgment hardly get a mention. But the Bible makes it clear that God's judgment is real. And it stands alongside of His love and His mercy. And at the end of our lives, we will all stand before the judgment council of God. We will give an account to God at that judgment. And there'll be a simple question that's asked of everyone that stands before God's judgment. The question will be, do we stand before God in our own righteousness, the good that we have done, or will we stand there clothed with Christ's righteousness? A righteousness that's offered by God through His grace, through faith in Christ. And so the judgment will be our righteousness or Christ's righteousness. And if all we have is our righteousness, the truth of the Bible is that we will fall short. Our righteousness isn't good enough. It's not that God isn't interested in righteousness. It's just that we don't have enough of it. Only Jesus' righteousness, which is perfect and complete and forgives all of our unrighteousness, will make us acceptable before God. And so judge, that judgment was uh, the, the message that Jonah was to bring to the Ninevites. Repent, turn to God, or suffer the consequences of his judgment on your city and on your lives. But Jonah said to God, I'm not interested in that short-term mission trip to Nineveh. No thanks. And so instead, he went down to the port, and he bought a ticket to Tarshish in the opposite direction of Nineveh. Most likely it was a, a seacoast city in w the western Mediterranean somewhere. And so Jonah becomes the runaway prophet. He chooses willful disobedience over even reluctant obedience. And at first, as you read his story, you think, wow, it looks like Jonah made the right choice to reject God's call. I'm sure he was thinking that. For he goes to the dock in Joppa, and he looks at the timetable, and he realizes, hey, there's a ship heading toward Tarshish. I don't have to go to, jo to, to Nineveh. And so he buys a ticket. He meets the crew. He gets on board, and he settles into a, a nice, restful berth on his first cruise. And Jonah's thinking, good. God will just have to find somebody else. He'll just have to forget about me because I'm not going there. But boy, was he about to discover how wrong he was. Because just as we heard in the reading of this chapter, God had a surprise in store for Jonah. God hadn't lost track of Jonah. He knew right where he was, and God was about to visit him. And if Jonah had any doubts about God's power, about God's persistence, but the Bible calls God's sovereignty, then these events in chapter 1 will erase all of them, his doubts. Because Jonah here discovers that God is in control. God's in control of the weather, the seas, the ships on those seas, the, the sailors on those ships, the captain of those sailors. He's even in control of the fish of the sea. 
And so God provides miraculously some giant sea creature of some kind to give Jonah a little time to think this over. In fact, three days worth of time to think it over. As Jonah's thrown overboard, he's swallowed by this uh, giant sea creature, and he's there in the belly of that sea creature for three days, thinking it over. God wants Jonah to learn that God is in control, that he's almighty. Jonah's not in control, God is. If Jonah chooses to run from God, it will mean endless turmoil, pain, struggle, and, and trouble in his life. Not a lot has changed since Jonah's time, has it? That's what happens when someone tries to run from God. We discover that no matter how fast we run or how far we run, we cannot outrun God. Running from God happens whenever we go in an opposite direction from God's instruction, His command, His invitation, His direction in our lives. We say, God, no thanks. I'll do life my way, not your way. Find someone else to do your work. Running from God is about any disobedience or disregard to what God asks us to do. And Jonah gives us a graphic picture of what that looks like. In fact, that's the reason the story of Jonah is in the Old Testament. Because God wanted the nation of Israel not to hear Jonah's words, but to see them. You see, Jonah, his story is really a picture, an object lesson to the people of Israel. Now, most of the prophets delivered their message to God's people uh, verbally, through their lips. But Jonah will deliver God's message to Israel, not through his lips, but through his life. Jonah's story becomes an object lesson to Israel of their own situation at that time in history. You see, here in history, uh, Israel, the nation, was doing pretty well on their own. It was in the 8th century BC, under King Jeroboam II. Israel's borders had been enlarged. In fact, they'd been expanded to the, the greatest extent since the time of King Solomon, the great one. This had brought increased prosperity, power to Israel, a comfortable life, a materialistic culture. But it also, they had thrived on selfishness and oppression of the poor and disregard to God's ways. They thought everything's pretty good. God has forgotten about us. Let's just enjoy life on our, doing it our own way. And so Jonah, aboard that boat, as the storm came, was a picture to Israel. You see, they thought they had gotten away with something from God. Jonah thought the same thing as he boarded that boat. They were content to ignore God in their rebellion and their disobedience. And so Jonah's story, Jonah's plight, is an object lesson to show Israel the foolishness of their disobedience. They didn't hear the words of Jonah, but they saw themselves in the picture of Jonah's story. And so it is for us. Because it reminds us that what's in store for us if we try to run from God, disregard Him. Uh, maybe some of you could tell that story because that's the place you are in maybe your life today. You've decided that 
you don't want to listen to God anymore, or you're going to do life your way. Maybe you sensed uh, God bringing you to uh, know more about Jesus and discover who he is and the difference he can make in your life, and yet you re you've resisted. You said, God, I don't want to go there. Or you sense God leading you in a certain direction. Or God asking you to move something out of your life or bring something into your life. And like Jonah, you're running. You said, I'm not ready to do that. God, go talk to somebody else, but leave me alone. Well, Jonah reminds us that those are no small matters with God. God isn't going to look the other way when we've chosen to follow him. When you see, when you choose Jesus to follow him, you choose the way of the cross. You choose to, to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. And God takes that commitment seriously, and so should we. And that brings us uh, to another lesson from Jonah's object lesson, his story. For not only is Jonah running from God, but conversely, God is in pursuit of Jonah. And because God is full of grace and compassion for his people, God will do whatever it takes to find that one lost sheep and bring him home. That's what Jesus told us in the New Testament. So like Jonah, if we decide to run from God instead of to obey God, we're choosing to make our lives full of turmoil, misery, discontent, because God is in pursuit, and he won't give up, and he can run faster than we can. I can tell you from my own life, years when I said, God, uh, just leave me alone. I want to do it my way. Uh, God asked me to do something or go someplace or move something out of my life, and I refused and ran the other way. I lived constantly with conviction, guilt, shame, uncertainty, and I discovered that stays there until I relent and say, God, okay, you're the Lord of my life. I will do life your way. And so will each one of us, if you're a follower of Jesus. Because we can't profess to be followers of Jesus, worshipers of God, and then run away from him with impunity and no consequences. There will always be consequences when we run from God. So, May I ask you a question? Simply, are you running from God in some area of your life? Has God asked you to do something, go somewhere, be something? Has God asked you to obey in some way? Has God invited you to, made a way for you to come to discover who Jesus is and follow him? And you said, no, I'm not going to Nineveh. I'm going to Tarshish. God, I'm not going to do it your way. I'll do it my way. Running from God can occur in so many areas of life. I could never list them all because uh, Satan, our enemy, is so clever. He keeps inventing new destinations, new ways for us to run from God. But the message of Jonah is that all of those end up in the same place. They end up making us miserable, getting us thrown overboard because God is relentless in his pursuit of us. It's what theologians in an earlier age called irresistible grace. If you're a follower of Jesus, God's grace won't let go of you. 
We find that in the New Testament in 2 Timothy 2.13. It says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. He still pursues us. He still draws us to himself. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, that means, and God is working in your life and drawing you to Jesus, he won't give up until you come home, until you discover the reality of Jesus in your life as your Savior and as your Lord. So why don't you give up running? Do yourself a favor. Accept God's grace and mercy. Why keep making life miserable? Why continue to live without peace and running from God? All it takes is to admit it, confess the disobedience and the sin, the rebellion, to find God's forgiveness, His mercy, and return to His blessing and His protection. God's mercy is wide and broad. He says, it's never too late to come back and do it right. And my final thoughts today would be to those maybe today who aren't yet followers of Jesus. You'd honestly say, I don't know Jonah's God. I don't have a living relationship with Jesus. Oh, I've heard him call, but I just said no, no thanks. I don't understand it, I don't want it, I don't need it. Maybe in the story of Jonah, you're a lot like the sailors on that ship that Jonah boarded. Maybe you find yourself in the middle of life's storms, and you're not sure why, you don't know how to get out of it, you have no idea what's going on, and sometimes you feel like you're sinking in a sea of your own unfulfilling pleasure and sensuality of life. Well, I'm here to tell you today from Jonah's story that there's hope for you because God is pursuing you too. How do I know that? Because you're here. Because he's brought you here to hear more about his mercy and his grace. He's brought you here to discover who Jesus is and the reality of what he can do in your life and the difference he can make. He wants to direct your attention to Jesus, the only one who can take control of your life, calm the raging, the raging storm within, and can bring you home to a relationship with God through Christ. And I can tell you with that most certainty, that's the truth of the Bible. That when you're battling the storms of life on your own, it will not end well you'll eventually be thrown overboard. You'll drown in, in your own disobedience. There's nothing you can do to save yourself. But the God of the Bible, he's made a way for you. He, he's given a, a lifeboat. And that lifeboat is in his son, Jesus. Jesus who died on the cross for you, who paid a penalty that you and I owed, but we couldn't pay. And God provided the lifeboat in Jesus to die on the cross, to pay the penalty for us, to take what we deserve because of our sin and disobedience, and in its place to offer forgiveness, hope, healing, a new relationship with God for all eternity. And that can be yours through simple faith, through saying, Lord Jesus, I need you to come into my life. I need your forgiveness of my sins. I want a relationship with you, and I turn the control of my life over to you from this day forward. The Bible talks that, about that as salvation, knowing Jesus as our Savior. We'd love to help you take that next step. 
If that's where you are today and you say, I, I don't know that God, but God's drawing me and I need to explore more about it. We'd love to sit down and talk with you and pray for you and help you understand more what that looks like. Let's bow together now as we close. God, thank you for this amazing story of Jonah. It's a story that we do see ourselves in. It's a picture of our own lives, how there have been times in our lives when we said, God, I'll do life my way, and it just didn't work out. And then your mercy and your grace comes to us. You offer us forgiveness. You offer us a fresh start. You offer us a new way to do life. Father, thank you for your great mercy. We want to escape your judgment through the righteousness of Christ. And so we ask you today, Lord, to receive us back into your grace, into your pleasure. I pray, Lord, for those across this room, maybe you've brought here today to hear that message for the first time or the 50th time, that they can come to Jesus and discover who he is and receive him as their Savior and the difference that he can make in their lives. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.